back in, I guess this was about 10 months ago, not quite a year, uh, sometime probably in last August, I think, when I looked back to look at when we covered this text, we were uh, in Luke chapter 9, and in Luke 9, verse 51, uh, Luke's gospel records this statement that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Uh, some translations say like he stiffened his face or set his face like stone or like flint to go to Jerusalem. He was going to Jerusalem with the cross in mind. He knew what was necessary. He knew what was needed in order to bring about salvation for his people. In order to accomplish everything that was needed so that we could be saved. And he determined then to set out for Jerusalem to accomplish that task. And so for ten months... Uh, we've been walking through that journey uh, on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, the last few weeks, we've looked at his final w- week in Jerusalem and the things that were happening uh, in this final week of his life. And now, uh, this is where we've picked up in Luke's text, the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. And so our sermon is titled, Jesus the crucified Savior. Jesus, the crucified Savior. Turn with me to Luke 23. I'm going to read verse 26 through 56 and pray for us. As they led him away, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country, and they laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the women without children, the wombs who never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us. And to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. Then people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly. Because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man 
has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light had failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw him, saw what had happened, he began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin who had not agreed with their plan and action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and he was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. Thank you for the Savior that you've given us, the sacrifice that was made for us. Help us believe, help us live lives changed, because this is true. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what I want us to do as we work our way through this final section of Luke 23, which happens to be the last text that we haven't covered yet, because we've already covered the resurrection texts at Easter. Uh, And so this is, after a year and a half, uh, the last of our text in Luke's Gospel. And as we work our way through this and see the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of our Savior, I want us to see... uh, In each of these, there are glimpses of what it was that Jesus Christ was accomplishing for us. What it was He was making possible for us through His death in our place. And so the first thing that we're going to see is this. In the death of Jesus, we can receive the forgiveness of sins. In the death of Jesus, we can receive the forgiveness of sins. So this is his final hours, and he is being led away to his execution. And here we're going to see he is offering care. He's about to die. He's already endured the most horrific of things up to this point, And now is about to be executed, and he demonstrates care for others. So verse 26 to 34, they led him away and seized Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country. They laid a cross on him to carry behind Jesus. 
a large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the women without children and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. People are following in large crowds. They take Jesus. If you were here last week, we remember Pilate had declared him innocent. Herod had declared him innocent. But the crowds kept demanding his death. And Pilate finally says, okay, they can have him. They can do what they want. And he hands Jesus over to their will, hands him over to be crucified. And so here they lead Jesus away. And it says they seized a man coming in from the country, Simon, and they placed the cross on him to carry the cross for Jesus the rest of the way out to where he's going to be crucified. In John's Gospel, it states that uh, Jesus was given the cross to carry himself, which was a common practice. Uh, there's not a contradiction here in, in the Gospel accounts, uh, what we would say is initially Jesus was given the cross to carry. But remember, he has gone without sleep while being tortured repeatedly for hours, suffering all sorts of uh, abuse. And at some point in time, uh, as Jesus is being is as he is carrying his cross out to the place where they will crucify him, it appears that maybe the guards realized he won't make it. He's not going to make it to uh, to the hill. And so they grab this guy from the crowd, Simon, and place the cross on him to carry. And people are following around. People are following behind, watching the death of the Son of God. And it says there are some women there who are mourning. And this is the first act of care for the people there. As Jesus is being led away to his death, he extends a warning to these women who are mourning what is happening. He pauses and tells them, you, you actually don't need to be weeping for me. Uh, although this is a horrific thing that he's enduring, what is to come is going to be much worse. Uh, and so he's pointing ahead to judgment that's going to come on Jerusalem, judgment that's going to come on the nation of Israel because of their rejection of Jesus, because of what they are doing. 
And he says, there's going to be a time where uh, things are going to be so reversed that what used to be considered uh, the uh, a sign of... Uh, of being in God's judgment and not having anyone to uh, to care. What used to be a sign that things weren't the way they were so, supposed to be, which was barrenness, that there'll actually become a day where people are going to say, this is actually better. Because things are going to be so bad that people aren't going to want to watch what's going to happen to the children. When judgment comes. And he says there's going to be a day where the people here are actually going to cry out to creation to destroy them. Cry out to the mountains and the hills. Just fall on us. Destroy us. End this suffering. And so Jesus warns these women of what is to come. That's a, a sign of his care for them to let them know things are actually going to get much worse. And that statement that he says, uh, if they do this while the wood is green, think about what will happen when it's dry. Essentially saying, like, if, if this happens while I'm here, think about how much worse things are going to be when I'm no longer with you. Then in verse 32 to 34, we see Jesus and the two criminals are led away to the place where they're going to be executed. The place of the skull. So in Aramaic, that is Golgotha, the place of the skull. In Latin, the word for that is Calvaria. So if you've ever wondered, where do we get, why do we call the place Jesus was crucified Calvary? It comes from the Latin word, Calvaria, the place of the skull. So he's led away to the place of the skull. Outside of the city is going to be crucified there. And he is nailed to the cross and lifted up from the earth on this cross. Between two criminals, two guilty individuals, one on the right, one on the left. Literally a fulfillment of that Isaiah passage where he was counted among the lawless. He was counted among the wicked, the ones who were actually guilty. And on the cross, he extends this request for their forgiveness. Likely speaking specifically to the Roman soldiers who were carrying this out, it could have been a broader context but regardless, we see he asked for them to be forgiven. God, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't realize what's actually happening. They don't realize what they're actually doing to me. Forgive them. And it's a reminder to us as Jesus suffering greatly in our place, when he asked for forgiveness to be granted it's a reminder that that's what He came for. He came so that forgiveness could be granted. He came so that we could find forgiveness for our sins. The innocent, spotless One had His blood shed so that sinners like you and me could receive forgiveness. 
Paul talks about that in Colossians. In Colossians 1, we see this description. Verse 21 and 22. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy and faultless and blameless before him. We used to be separated from God. We used to be alienated from God because of our sins. But now we can actually be made right with God. We can be reconciled with God through the death of Jesus. He died so that we could be declared holy and righteous and blameless. It's part of that beautiful, glorious exchange that took place. Jesus Christ is taking on our sins, our guilt. Literally becoming sin is what one of the scriptures says. I think that's Peter. He is becoming sin. And it's not that he just becomes sin in our place and takes our sin and our punishment, but then there's an exchange that takes place because he also gives us his obedience, his righteousness for the people who have trusted in him. If we believe in him, we can have the forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus was accomplishing on the cross. The second thing we see is in the death of Jesus, we are offered eternal life with Him. In the death of Jesus, we are offered eternal life with Him. Verse 35 to 43. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let Him save Himself. If this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked Him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals was hanging there, began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment... We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Constant mocking from the crowds. From all angles of the crowds. The masses, the religious leaders, the soldiers, and even the criminals on the cross mocking Jesus as He dies. If you're so great, if you're truly the the person you've claimed to be, show it to us. Save yourself. You've done all of these so-called amazing signs. Save yourself. Now, mocking upon mocking. And they don't realize, one, he could have, 
he could have saved himself. Think of all the things that Jesus Christ did in his ministry that we've been looking at in this gospel. All the miracles, walking on water, feeding 5,000, raising people from the dead, he could have saved himself. What they don't realize is had he, then salvation wasn't going to be possible for you and me. It wasn't going to be possible for them. If he didn't die in their place, then salvation wasn't going to be accessible. And so they're calling for him to do something that would make it to where they wouldn't be able to experience salvation. He could have asked. He said back in the garden when Peter chopped off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Jesus told Peter, Stop! Don't you realize that at the Word I could ask my Father for legions of angels to come and put an end to this? All he had to do is make the request. And I envision the angels of heaven holding their breath, just waiting for it to happen. Just ask us to come. Send us there. Let us put an end to this madness. But Jesus was not willing to save himself. Because He was determined to save you and me. The other criminal recognizes the innocence of Jesus. The other criminal finally realizes, like, what's wrong with you? To the, to the, second, to the first criminal that's calling out the insults. Don't you realize what you're saying? We deserve what's happening to us. But this man's innocent. This man's done nothing wrong. Another declaration of his innocence. This man has done nothing to deserve this. And he asked Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus makes a promise. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man has believed in Jesus, believed that he truly is the one sent from God. And Jesus makes a promise to him. This man is going to experience eternal life. He's going to experience paradise in the presence of Jesus Christ. He says, you'll be with me today in paradise. The criminal who deserves the death is being told, I'm I'm rescuing you out of what it is you've deserved, out of what it is that you have earned you will be with me in paradise. And that phrase, with me, is really important to remember why heaven is paradise. It's because we're going to be in the presence of our Savior. 
We're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, the one that rescued us. We sometimes get this distorted thought about heaven and eternal life. And it's like, you know, I had a guy tell me one time, well, why wouldn't I want that? Like, you know, I'm going to catch a 10-pound bass every time I make a cast. I'm going to get a hole-in-one every time I take a golf swing. Of course I would want heaven. He's thinking of heaven truly as just, I get to all these great experiences, and I think there truly will be experiences that you and I will have no idea of conceiving how wonderful they're going to be. But the reason it's heaven is because we will be with our Savior. We will be with Jesus Christ, the one that offered us and secured for us eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, He would not perish but have eternal life. In the death of Jesus, we are offered eternal life with Him. That's what He is accomplishing on the cross. The third thing that we see in the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, is in the death of Jesus, we have access to God. In the death of Jesus, we now have access to God. Picking up in verse 44, it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light had failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous. All the crowds that gathered for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home striking their chests. But all who knew him including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. For three hours, the the sun's light failed. For three hours, darkness covered the land. And we don't know the extent of how this cosmic event took place. But the miraculous event of the sun's light not shining on the land anymore pointed to a few things. It pointed to the evil that's taking place. What is happening to Jesus is wicked. It is evil. He has done nothing to deserve this. It's possibly also pointing to the judgment that's to come because of the wickedness of their rejection of the Savior. And in that we see the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple is torn. One of the Gospel accounts says it was torn from top to bottom. But here Luke just says it's torn down the middle. The curtain kept separated the people from the Holy of Holies in the temple where the presence of God was. And as this happens, as the the curtain is torn and ripped apart, the dividing wall is torn and divided, Jesus quotes from Psalm 31. 
Psalm 31, 5. He says, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit, I commit my spirit. So his final words, he is praying Scripture from the Psalms. God, I trust you with my spirit. And he breathes his last. He died. The centurion standing there is the first to give glory to God. The centurion standing there makes another declaration. This man really was righteous. Or some, some translations uh, say this man really was innocent. So he sees the darkness over the land and, and comes to the conclusion. There's obviously... Uh, some judgment from heaven going on. And this man must really have been innocent. And then it says the onlookers, likely the ones who were mocking and insulting him, likely part of the crowd that were calling for his crucifixion earlier in the day, on some level they seem to realize Maybe we got something wrong. And we, we don't have any discussion, but we have this sign of remorse. It says they, they left going home beating their chests. A sign of remorse of like, we've done something wrong. Maybe some of those had their hearts prepared for Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Maybe they were being pierced by the Spirit. This really was God's Son. We don't know all of that. But people are recognizing something has happened that shouldn't have happened here. And then we have this mention of these faithful followers standing by and watching all these things unfold. And a, a specific mention of some women who had been with him from Galilee. Remember, the Galilee is where he started. And there were mentions several times in Luke's Gospel about the women who were following him and supporting his ministry. So these are the ones who had been there from the beginning following Jesus and supporting Jesus in His ministry. And these faithful women, when the, the men have scattered and fled and denied and they're hiding, these faithful women are standing by and watching Jesus endure this. It's important that we see in that tearing of the curtain in this scene... That's a really important picture for us of what is being accomplished in the death of Jesus in our place. Because of Jesus' death, salvation is made possible and access to God is now possible. We actually can draw close to God. Our sins had separated us from Him, but we can actually draw close to the Lord now. 
Because the dividing wall has been torn. His wrath has been poured out on His Son so that we can be saved and we can come close to Him. The author of Hebrews picks that image up. In multiple places in Hebrews, he kind of alludes to this, but in Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 22, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, He has inaugurated for us new, a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and let our bod- and our bodies washed in pure water. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Indeed, we can draw close to God because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. Access is open now for you and for me. What a beautiful truth of what Jesus is doing through His death in our place. The last thing we'll see in this text is in the death of Jesus, we can know the depth of God's love for us. In the death of Jesus, we can know the depth of God's love for us. This kind of summary scene wrapping up is provided as kind of a historical transition. These things took place to kind of set stage for the resurrection morning to come. But these historical things that took place about his uh, burial give us a really good reminder that Jesus really did die for us. It wasn't that He appeared to die. It wasn't, you know, He actually died for us. So in verse 50 to 56, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin who had not agreed with their plan and action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in the tomb, cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin, and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. And then they returned, prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So Joseph, noted as a, a good man, a faithful man, Joseph was part of the Sanhedrin. But it makes it clear, Joseph did not agree with the Sanhedrin's decision to send Jesus off to his death. He was looking forward to the kingdom of God, of what God was doing in the nation. And he wants to honor Jesus. Wants to honor his life. And so he goes to Pilate, being a person of status. uh, Someone Pilate may would listen to. He goes to Pilate and says, hey, can I take his body and, and provide him 
a burial. It's a reminder that he really was dead. The people who there who were there recognized it. He's died. There's no no breath in and out of his lungs. There's no blood pumping through his veins because of his heartbeat. He's dead. He really did die. And so these people at the end, these faithful people, are preparing to bury the one. And they're preparing these things feeling hopeless. The one they were putting their hope in is gone. And so with Sabbath approaching, they can't do all that's necessary to prepare the the body like they normally would. And so these faithful women from Galilee who had been with him from the beginning follow along as Jesus' body is taken to the tombs and they watch where his body is placed and they make plans to honor their Savior, to honor the One that they had put their hope in one final time. And so they prepare the, the spices and the, and the perfumes. Instead of embalming, they would prepare a body with these things as a, a final way to honor the body as it's going into the stages of decomposition. He was dead. And this burial is a reminder that Jesus had really, really died. And yes, they feel quite hopeless as they're making these final preparations. And as we look back on that event and look at the lifeless body of our Savior laying in the tomb... We can know this is how much God loves us. We can know and be certain, convinced, God loves me. Paul makes that argument in Romans. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God proves His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He proved it. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. And He sent His Son, Jesus, to die in our place so that we wouldn't face the wrath to come, so that we wouldn't be condemned. The proof is right there. There may be days whether you've done something so horrific Or days where your circumstances are so bad that you wonder, like, am I out of God's love? Like, does God not love me? Or how could God love me? How could God love someone like me who's done something like this again? And we've got the proof. The proof is in the fact that Jesus died for you. We can know without a shadow of a doubt that God truly does love us. When we look at the cross and when we look at the grave, it is a declaration from God to humanity. I love you. Look what I've done for you. 
Matt Papa has a song called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. One of the verses goes like this. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured and love untold. God declaring, this is how much I love you. I will send my son to die for you. Today's text has shown us the crucifixion of Jesus. He really did die on the cross for us. He was committed to that. That's why He came. That plan was set in place. Scripture makes reference to before the foundations of the world were set, God had a plan to rescue sinners by sending Jesus to die for us. And we see in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus was committed to that. He was unwavering in His commitment to rescue us from our sins. To take our place so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so if you haven't made up your mind about Jesus, if you're still on the fence of, I I just don't know what to think about Him He truly is the only way that you can be made right with God. He truly is the only way for you to have your sins forgiven. He truly is the only way for you to be able to have a relationship with God. And so if you want to know more about that, if you have questions about salvation, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, please see me after the service. See one of our ministry leaders or our elders. We would love to talk with you more about the sacrifice that was made and the life that is available to you because of Jesus Christ. And church, what a Savior we have, right? We've, we've said that so many times throughout Luke. What a Savior we have been given. Let's live lives of praise because we've been forgiven. Let's live life with hope because we know we truly will spend eternity. We have been given eternal life and we'll spend eternity with Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's live lives now of hope looking forward to that day. Let's live lives drawing close to God always because He died to make that possible for us. And let's know without a shadow of a doubt, church, no matter what happens, let's know and walk in confidence that God loves us. He proved it by sending Jesus to die for us. He proved it by Jesus dying in our place so that we could be made sons and daughters of God. He died to make all of this possible. And so let's pursue these things for His glory. Let's pray. God, You are so good and faithful to a group that's often faithless, to a group that can be rebellious, 
And you've continued to demonstrate your love for us. Help us believe. Help us live lives changed because of what Jesus has accomplished. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.